watch the European Championships on Caught Offside. For Pogba, France hit the front. Lewandowski goes for the goal! He just can't! You just cannot be that good! It's Bale! It's a second for Wales! Now here's Andrew Gunling and JJ DeBen. Oh, yes! That's right. The European Championships on Caught Offside. Andrew Gunling and JJ DeVenny. What's up, brother? Have you apologized, Andrew? Hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to be apologizing for, quite frankly. Were you not the man in the parachute that tried to get Caught Offside advertisements all over the France-Germany game? Before oh, kickoff? that's what that was. It was. It was you crashing in saying, download our podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. That is how my parachute entrance would go. It would not be graceful. It would not go as planned. It would look a lot like that guy's. By the way, I should say, um, I hope everyone's okay. People yeah. were injured today in this wild moment prior to France and Germany when uh, protesters, I guess, of, of uh, the environmental organization Greenpeace parachuted into the Allianz Arena and uh, it was yet another surreal scene. This tournament has not been short on those. That is certainly true. And this sport is just never lacking in the way of drama. We're just- sorry it went wrong. Greenpeace apologizes over botched parachute stunt at Euro 2020 match. Succinct. Is that, that's, oh, is that the entire statement? No, I think oh, there's okay. more, but I'm not okay. going to read there, any more. Probably, I would think there would be. Like somewhere in the statement, I would think would be what it was exactly that they were setting out to protest. Um, if it was just, we're sorry, something went wrong, end of statement. I would say, huh. I, if you were, if it was actually you that was doing that, the, yours would be, is what it is. Yeah, so be it. Uh, we're going to talk about what happened after that incident at the, uh, in the pregame of, of France, Germany. We're going to talk about what happened during the actual 90 minutes of France and Germany, probably the, the marquee fixture of the initial uh, group stage, the, the first set of group stage matches. So we'll talk about that. We will, of course, talk about England. Uh, we will talk about the horrific events, which hopefully are trending towards happy ending uh, that involved Christian Eriksen over the weekend in the Denmark-Finland match. We're going to actually speak with uh, Johnny Wojcik-Kockborg of uh, BT Sport based out of Copenhagen. Uh, he's going to join us to give us the insight from the Danes, the people of Denmark, how they took that entire incident, how they processed it, how they're still processing it, how the match came to be resumed in the way that it was. We'll talk about all of that with him. It's it's going to be a fascinating conversation um, because that was one of those events that, I mean, we'll, we'll talk in greater detail about it later in the pod, but JJ, it's, it's one of those events that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Um, I'm so happy, obviously, that it has turned out the way that it has, but that period of time of not knowing, but in the back of your mind, thinking that you knew, it was, it was as gut-wrenching of a of a moment as I can remember watching a sporting event. I've never I've never felt that way watching sports before. It was horrible. Yeah, I I didn't see it live. It was a game I decided that uh, I was away for a few days, and I decided this is a game I can skip. I don't see the need to see the Danes anymore. I've had enough of them, and De- Denmark and Finland is one I in in a group stage is one I can miss, and um, so I was following it from a distance on Twitter, and uh, the phone call I had with you, which again, we'll talk about later, was one I would not wish to repeat ever. Um, Samber doesn't even begin to cut it. But like I said, we will get into that later in the pod. 
And uh, we have a mailbag as well. And, and I'll, I'll, there's one question in particular. They're all good questions. People did a great job with this, uh, with this week's mailbag. But I'll, I'll throw out the first one now. Don't answer. But for everyone listening, this will give you a chance to think about it for yourself. Uh, so, and this is also a nice gateway into what we're going to start with, which is today's France and Germany match at the Euros. Um, but JJ, this question came from uh, Hiltra001. They said, JJ, Andrew, I recognize this may be tough to answer, but after watching Mbappe's beautiful curler today, I was wondering what are some of your favorite disallowed goals that you've seen? And I thought that was such a fascinating question. So everyone out there, you can think about it. And then once we get to the mailbag later in the podcast, um, I've come up with a few. I'm sure you have a few as well. Yeah, I have more disallowed goals that I can readily call on if I'm ever asked this question that I don't even need to think about. Then I've had long-term relationships, which <laughs> says a lot about me. Let's talk more about this game that that included one of the all-time great, I suppose, disallowed goals. Included a couple nice disallowed goals, both of which involved Kylian Mbappe. Uh, France and Germany, I mean, this was, like I said, the marquee fixture. And it was... So uh, it seems like there's been some mixed reaction to the game as a whole. Mm. I know when you and I were talking before we started recording, you kind of gave it sort of like a, a meh. Other people on Twitter, you know, you see a lot of, of praise for just what a high level the game was played at. I guess my takeaway from it is that it did not give us maybe the goals, the number of goals that we were hoping for. It did not give us the number of, you know, dead on clear cut, scoring chances that maybe you would have hoped for in a game that involved France and Germany. But I'll say this, and this is an element of soccer that doesn't always get the credit that it probably deserves. Uh, JJ, I thought that this was defending at its highest level today. I thought both teams uh, defended beautifully. Like we know what each of these teams has an attack, especially France. And I thought Germany, it's unfortunate that the winning goal came from Mats Hummel's own goal, a disastrous moment of defending, because I don't think that that was an accurate portrayal of how well each of these teams defended throughout the course of this game. Yeah, I I didn't think of it in, in those terms. I suppose you're right. I'm an also, optimist. I see things in a, in a positive way. Yeah, no, and I'm not saying it's not positive. I, I kind of looked at, at the French and the way they set up and they're kind of... We said on the group previews, or I said on the group preview, and you kind of challenged me a bit on it, and, and you were wrong, obviously. But um, when I said that that France at the last World Cup played within themselves, um, they did it again today. They don't need to rip you apart. They don't look to rip you apart all the time. This is not like wave after wave, attack after attack. It's not how we say, like, we imagine the 1982 Brazilian team. This isn't it. But what they do is they control the game in another way. And I just have a vision in my head of this game of, of France in the first half and the second half, but, but more so in the first half, and just banks of blue shirts and German players in possession of the ball, slowly moving the ball with nowhere to go and getting bottled up. And then France break with quick football, quick um, interchanges of passing, and they go down the field. Now, did they create a ton of chances in this game? Not really, but they were all you, they always had that that whiff of danger on the break, and they completely bossed and mastered Germany without the ball. And when they had it, they looked more effective ger- than Germany did when they had the ball themselves. It was um, it was a masterclass of what this um, this French football style is under Didier Deschamps, which I would say is the complete opposite 
of what it was when Deschamps was captain himself and played in the two teams that won the European Championship and the World Cup. You're not wrong. I think our perception might be a little bit different had those disallowed goals counted. And by the way, they not were right, really. they How, were rightfully not, disallowed. But not but not really. How would it have changed? Look at the look at the way the goals I were think scored. people I think people would be swayed by a 3-0 scoreline that saw uh, Mbappe score a goal like that and then set up another one by using his speed on a 2 on 0 to it, Benzema. It would have been classic France, except with added goals. It would have been exactly what this team is with added goals. The way they would have scored those goals was through the system they played. It would three nil wouldn't have meant more expansive football. It would have been just this performance with more goals, and they were very unlucky that that wasn't the case. Um, in terms of my some of my first impressions, the first thing it was to me at least it was so weird seeing. Kareem Benzema playing for France again. Like, I feel like he's almost become famous in a weird way for not playing for France. Right. And so to see him once again, playing for them, like nothing, like no, nothing has happened. Oh, hi guys. I'm back. Like, I mean, it's been, it it wasn't since the 2014 world cup quarterfinals against Germany, ironically enough, um, where he played a competitive match for this team. And so to just see him out there again, um, you know, I thought he had a goal until it was disallowed. Uh, that that was interesting to me, and and I think it should be a little bit frightening, like we talked about in our group previews to some of France's upcoming opposition. And we know what a great player he he can be. Um, I th- I thought that was interesting because I, I I thoroughly agreed with John Champion about how we had this moment written, this piece of theater where Benzema. The, the, I can't even say prodigal son, the shunned one, the man who was in the wilderness for the last five years, scores a goal on his tournament return for France. And then for it to be ruled out, because let's, let's be honest, the place kind of, well, whatever French fans were in there, they exploded. There was noise. There was a big celebration. And then for it to be ruled off was real, was really like a damp cloth over a fire. Um, but yeah, it was weird to see him out there. Um, doesn't... Uh, it didn't feel, you know, it didn't feel right not seeing Olivier Giroud there. Uh, but perhaps considering what happened uh, over the past few days with press conferences and yeah. uh, the little things that have been bubbling under, it was better off that ben- Benzema started. Yeah. And, and then on the German side, I also found it interesting. This was the first time that Thomas Muller, Kai Havertz and Serge Gnabry started in the same game for Germany. I mean, we always, you know, we talk about like, familiarity and experimentation and and when is the time for those things and when is not, I'm not saying that it was wrong to start those three. I just find it interesting that like when you're, you're trying to to put a team out there that has chemistry and has played together and um, for their first start together, those three players to come against France of all teams, the defending world champions. um, That's a tough ask to get those guys on the same page that quickly. Yeah. A tough ask. And an ask that uh, Yogi love wasn't able to, to step up to. He couldn't meet that task. Uh, Raphael Honigstein, I'm translating this from German because he wrote it in German. Uh, so in case I'm wrong, I'm going to read both the German and the English. Ostem individualen potential so weinig zu machen is soch a Kunst. I have destroyed German there, I realize, but I'm just looking for people to correct me, to be honest with you. Um, so this is what it translates as. Making so little of individual potential is also an art. And I honestly think that was this German performance completely summed up because you look at that 11, Andrew, and maybe you configure it a different way, 
but that's an 11 that you would expect would do more than the Germans did in this game and would cause more chances and create more opportunities than the Germans did in this game. It was a really poor return for what that strike force would make you think of when you saw it on paper. You're right. But again, I, I that's part of what my initial statement about France's defending. I mean, the number of blocked shots, um, that, that France had uh, clearances one after another. It just seemed like they weren't going to allow Germany to get into any kind of groove. I suppose Germany's, to me at least, I guess their most intriguing chance, there was the ball that fell to Ilkay Gundogan right in the middle of the box. And he would have had to take it as a volley. Um, not an easy chance, but he scuffed it well wide. And uh, that well, was that wasn't that. the Yeah, that wasn't the one for me, Andrew. I, t- I thought the game swung on when Gossens goes down the left. And it was in the midst of that good period of German pressure right after the after halftime, where you thought maybe they'll do something. And Gossens puts it in across the box and Serge Gnabry on the end of it. And he kind of volleys it into the ground and it goes over the bar. That to me was a massive, massive chance. And I expected if he scores that, maybe we have a different game. Maybe, maybe, maybe the dynamic of the game changes, but uh, he didn't. And the fact that I can recall so easily every single German chance tells you all you need to know. They were completely yeah. stifled by France. They were smothered. I think my favorite moment from this game, because I felt like it kind of put everything on display that I, that I enjoyed seeing from this game. Uh, second half, um, a ball kind of, I forget who played it, but just kind of like punted down uh, into the French attack. And it's Mbappe and it's Mats Hummels in a foot race. and. The like they're kind of I give Hummels credit. He's using his body. They're kind of neck and neck going for this ball. If Mbappe gets to it, he's one on one with with Neuer, um, which you like Mbappe's chances there as good of a keeper as Neuer is. And they're kind of neck and neck. And then all of a sudden, JJ, it's like somebody just hits some kind of turbo button. Mbappe just has this other gear that he can get to in these situations that just it stands out because other players don't have it. Even the greatest players in this game don't have that gear. He hits this turbo button and just zips past Hummels, gets to the ball, and then, to his credit, Hummels made an unbelievable defensive play from behind when I think most defenders make that it's it's a penalty. Looking at the replay, I think they made the right call. It's close. He I does get foul. He does get part of Mbappe's leg, uh, but he, he clearly – he also wins the ball. No foul was given. And uh, it was, I thought that was just, you know, for a game that didn't yield a ton of chances, a ton of goals, I thought that was, a, for me, probably my most exciting moment from this. Because the goal itself, I didn't love, obviously. An own goal is a hard well, thing as a neutral fan to love. Well, it's time for a special part of this podcast that doesn't usually uh, get utilized very much. It's called the Paul Pogba appreciation part. Mm, yeah. Um, that ball from Pogba to find uh, Hernandez was magnificent. It was such a good ball. It's such a perceptive ball. It was a ball that when you're watching the TV, you're like, who's he kicking it to? There was no one on screen until Hernandez comes zooming in. It was an absolutely brilliant ball. It unlocked that whole defense. I have to say, Mats Hummels has got to adjust his feet. He's got to do better. He gets himself in a tangle and in a space that defenders don't want to be in. And uh, the skip up off the turf in the Allianz Arena and his shin uh, did the rest. My favorite moment of the game, though, was Kylian Mbappe's disallowed goal where he shifts it onto his right foot, seemingly has no angle, and whips it into the bottom corner beyond Manuel Neuer. He's so good at that. His ability to do things in tight spaces quickly is what I think makes him. I know his pace is there, 
I know his power is there, all that stuff. But I think that's what separates him from, from a lot of other players. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. He's and ridiculous. by the way, just going back to the Paul Pogba appreciation part, um, this was a classic example of why if you have N'Golo Kante in the team who can sit and do a little bit more of the stuff that Paul Pogba just isn't wired to do, and you can let Pogba be Pogba. And also, if you can let Pogba not have to be doing things all the time, like at Manchester United, it almost seems as if Pogba needs to be on the ball all the time. He kind of does because they don't have any other midfielders or deep light, further deeper lying midfielders that can do anything. Fred can't do anything. McTominay can't do anything. So they kind of need to have him doing stuff. And it, it becomes too much for him. And you kind of see him giving the ball away regularly in a cup final against Villarreal, things like that. Him being absolutely like useless against Liverpool in a game when he needs to do more. With the way France set up, where large parts of the game don't require him to be on the ball, he can be much more expressive when the time comes for him to do things like that. And he can play those little... There was a couple of times, Andrew, he just kept the ball so well with a little bit of intricate play or a little bit of skill. He put, um, he put uh, excuse me, Mbappe in for the offside goal as well. Like he realized quickly in that moment that the way he was facing was not the way to pass. He sorted his feet out. He dug a pass out. And um, I, I thought he was—I thought he was very good um, within the way that the French team play. I, I think it's the Conte, N'Golo Conte portion of what you're saying. I think is is a good point. The idea that N'Golo Conte's mere presence allows Pogba to do the things that he's best at, and it's no coincidence, JJ. So they have now been in the starting eleven together 19 times for French competitive matches, and France has never lost in any of those. 15 wins, four draws. That's not yeah. a coincidence. No, it's not. It's not a coincidence. But it, it also, Pogba just seems so much more kind of comfortable in his skin playing for France. And look, that comes down to the fact he's France is just a miles better team than Manchester United are right now in, in some key <laughs> positions. But it is notable. Um, do you know what's lovely, Andrew? It's the middle of the summer. There's no club football and we can still give Manchester United a kick in. We? <laughs> Come on, come on. But no, but seriously, um, yeah, I, I thought on the German side of things, I, I didn't understand why, why Kimmich was playing so far to the right. Like if I could change that team again, I would have pushed him more into the center and, you know, have him control things in midfield. As good as he is out wide, I thought he could have contributed more in the middle of the park um, where Germany didn't do that well at all. Um, there was also one of the worst cameos we've ever seen in soccer actually i say the worst for it to be in the worst he would have had to come on and like get sent off immediately but kevin volland was getting pelters on twitter for his performance and what i noticed about volland was okay it's a long time since he's played for germany he's surprisingly back in the squad he sprinted onto the field andrew as a substitute towards that towards the end of the game with the earnestness and the belief that he was going to make an impact. You could just see it in his face as he ran on. And it contrasted so sharply with what he actually did. Everything he did was bad. And it reminded me, his run onto the field reminded me of um, a character from Ghostbusters. He's the Ghostbusters accountant. And uh, Lewis is his name. And the Ghostbusters are trapped. So Lewis thinks it's his time to shine. He has got to take on the mantle of a ghostbuster. So he puts on the suit. He puts on the, the, the ghostbusting pack and he runs into the street and he keeps saying to himself, stay fit, stay sharp, make good decisions. 
And that's what I thought of Kevin Volland as he was coming onto the field. We actually have audio of Kevin Volland right before he comes on. Stay fit, keep sharp, make good decisions. That was um, that was Kevin Volland. Anything else on this game? Um, yeah. Rudiger. Rudiger. Oh, oh, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Why? I had a whole thing here about that. I forgot. Right. He's he's clearly biting Pogba on the back. Now, yeah. it's more a sensual bite rather than a, a Suarez. But it's still a bite. And Pogba reacts to it and is incensed and tries to alert the officials. VAR um, looks at it, obviously, because VAR sees all and doesn't do anything. And so Mark Clattenburg, who was working for ESPN, uh, he's asked about this and he says, basically, there's a burden of proof issue here. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I kind of agreed with Taylor Twellman on this, although Mark was adamant you have to be able to prove he's bitten him and it's not as clear cut as Suarez on Chiellini. No, it's, it's not to that level, but he did bite him. I mean, yeah, right. He did. Like, right he did. under the shoulder blade. Actually, no, right where the A is on Pogba, a little below that A. He's given him like a little love bite. So we've got two cats in our apartment and one cat loves to mess with the other one, just loves it. So the other cat will be sleeping and my cat Shelby will sneak up behind Maeve and will bite her on the back of the neck, just like go ah, like a love bite. And um, that's what that looked like. And by the way, Pogba's reaction is very similar to Maeve's. I feel like you, you broke down the difference between bites sensual versus the vicious it's like the difference yeah. between eating ice cream and like taking a bite out of like a turkey leg Ex perfect that's exactly it Andrew. this was more of an ice cream scoop and you know i know we've got younger listeners so i don't want to go into the intimate moments no of... let, let's dive right in <laughs> but no but if it, the it was a, a more kind of uh how, uh gentle bite can we it... <laughs> can, can we have a conversation about antonio rudiger I feel like he's been involved now in a lot of kind of on the fence situations where it's like, like the, the red card from sun a couple years ago in the Chelsea Tottenham game, there was a game this season, JJ. It, I don't remember what it was now, but I remember you and I texting afterwards being like, is something up with Rudiger? Uh, then you had the De Bruyne incident, obviously in the champions league final, like, and now you have this, it's like a lot of, was that really, really messed up or am I reading this wrong type stuff? I, I think now we're at a point with the bite being the cherry on top of like, he, I'm, he's done getting the benefit of the doubt for me. He's now one of those guys who is a bleep stir of the highest order and I am not giving him the benefit of the doubt anymore. He is that, he's that guy. Okay, we've, we, we've got to that point. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to do a deep dive on his career pre-Chelsea. Okay. You know, I want to know exactly kind of what, what makes this guy tick. How is he in the dressing room? How is he generally with the opposition? I need more information on this uh, because there's a, there's a pattern emerging. Yes. Just like he's when, when things that are somewhat untoward happen and he's in the game, he's generally involved somehow. Hmm. That's my feeling. Okay. Interesting. We'll keep an eye on this as, as things progress. We it's shall. Important. We we shall we shall monitor him a few other big games from the past few days jj let's get into england and croatia um curious i guess what your big takeaways were from this it seemed to i don't know it seemed england fans were obviously thrilled with the win um but so many of them seemed so angry 
with the lineup that I wonder if they're even allowing themselves to enjoy it. Oh, I think they are allowing themselves to enjoy it. Okay. Um, there, there are question marks. Um, I suppose <laughs> choosing a right back to play at left back when you've got some pretty good left backs on option is, is something that has irked people. Um, I think the big takeaways for me were for, firstly, and I, again, we have English listeners and they're just going to roll their eyes at, at JJ. Here he is hating perfidious Albion again, but it's not that. Um, Croatian decline. I mean, how bad were Croatia in this game? They were, they did not offer anything. No, it's they not going sh- forward. No, they didn't. And, and right at the end, you'll notice that that diagonal ball to Perisic. And he's kind of on the edge of the box and he nods it right into a dangerous area. No one. Nobody. Yeah. And uh, you're thinking back in the day, maybe Mandzukic. Mm-hmm. I say back in the day, like two years ago, Mandzukic is racing to get on the end of that. Nobody. Um, the other big takeaway was Calvin Phillips' role in the center. Because like you said, English play- people were kind of angry that ostensibly you were playing two holding center mids, but that's not how it worked. Phillips ability to, I mean, Phillips was, he was amazing. He was amazing in this game. He was. And he, now I thought he could have got a yellow card. You saw the leniency of the referees, which I would welcome generally, but I thought he was on the edge of getting a yellow card, but I thought he was fantastic otherwise. And think about this, Andrew, England looked kind of lost until the goal. They went, they had their 20 minute opening period where I thought their intensity was really high. Foden hits the post. They created a lot of chances. Then they kind of drifted away. Croatia got more into the game without creating a ton of chances themselves. And then Calvin Phillips kind of just gives this team a G up. He gets in between the lines, collects the ball, beats two defenders and slides Sterling in who, who manages to, to get it over the line. Um, I thought he was excellent and he got forward in a way people didn't expect him to. And, you know, I think, I think maybe Gareth Southgate's looked at it and thought, who's going to be the fittest man of this team? It's probably the guy who plays murder ball with Bielsa. So, so get him into that midfield. Um, but yeah, it was, it wasn't a great game. I don't think no. it was a great, I don't think it was a great English performance, but it was, it was definitely the result to get things going. And, um, and they'll definitely take confidence from that going into the Scottish game. Yeah. What's so interesting to me, I'm kind of now really excited to see what their next starting 11 will be because I right. didn't get the sense that this will be it permanently like I don't think they know exactly what their starting 11 is going to be and they might alter it based on what the opposition is Uh, in a game like this I think that there was still maybe some fear from what Luka Modric has done to them in the past and maybe that's why you're playing with an extra defensive midfielder even though you said in the end Calvin Phillips wasn't necessarily a conventional defensive mid Um, but I I, I couldn't help but wonder about that I, I think he wanted his energy in the middle of the park there um, to give something a counterpoint to the methodical, if accurate, uh, passing of, of Declan Rice, who I thought was completely overshadowed, uh, overshadowed in the game. Not to say he's not a good player, but overshadowed by um, by Calvin Phillips. And then the other thing, of course, was the clamor for Jack Reilly to be involved. Yeah, um, from us as well. Oh yeah, you know we wanted to see the Irishman involved, and uh, didn't happen. No, he look, he it will, it has to, right? He's too good. Right. He just, he will play a role in this tournament for England at some point. He just, for whatever reason, it wasn't how Southgate wanted to set up. I I don't know. To me, I I almost, I guess it's easier said than done because they do have a little bit of a crowded midfield. There's a lot of talented midfielders on this team. Um, So like. Attacking ones in particular. Right. Like 
you can't for I've spoken so highly of Mason Mount over the course of the season. He's he is not undroppable to me. I think he has to play. You know, Raheem Sterling would be the guy that people would look at and say, get him out. He didn't have a good season. Get Grealish in for him. But ultimately, he scored the goal. He's played very well for England. Uh, you know, for for whatever struggles he had this year with Man City, that has not translated to his national team. So I understand Southgate giving. Uh, Sterling, at least a little bit of a benefit of the doubt straight out here. I don't know. We'll see. Like I said, Grealish, he's going to play. We have a mailbag question on this a little bit later. Yeah, so, we, so we don't need to go too deeply into it. In terms no. of general England performances, aside from some of the names we just mentioned, I thought for the most part, I didn't think anyone had a bad game. There were just two players that I would look at. Harry Kane didn't really do anything, which mm. is a little bit concerning. They still were able to win. Um, yeah, and we'll see what Southgate wants from him. If he wants Kane to be deeper as more of a playmaker, as opposed to just strictly a finisher, we've seen Kane thrive in both roles at Tottenham. Uh, so you know, we'll see if what the feeling out period is with Kane. And then in defense, I thought Kyle Walker did well. I thought he defended well, but in terms of attack, which is something we generally think Kyle Walker is good at, uh, boy, he had a really really weird game. I mean, he ended up playing the ball into Calvin Phillips that led to the Sterling goal. Which, so he got, he got the move started and I give him credit for that. Perceptive but, pass. But yeah, it really was. Um, but he also had a lot of misplaced passes, miscommunications. Kicked the ball out how many times? Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was a little bit of a strange performance for him. I gave him a pass. I thought he struggled with the sun and the shadows at Wembley. Okay. I mean, they were all on the same field with the same sunlight and shadows, but all right, fair enough. If only he would be affected by it, I suppose that's remotely possible. He's like a pitcher for the Colorado Rockies. Okay. That just struggles in, in, in daylight games. Um, but yeah, England. Uh, oh, one other thing. Uh, also Jude Bellingham. I mean, he came on as a second half sub 17 years, 349 days old. He's the youngest player to ever appear at the European Championship for any country, not just England. I, you know, I think uh, back in the day when maybe 30 years ago, when we considered international football to be the pinnacle of football for some reason, which was probably wrong then as it is wrong now, um, this would have been heralded more. But I mean, this guy is bossing the midfield for Dortmund in the Champions League. So, um, yeah, but it's a, what a special moment for him. I'll say this about England, like in the moment right now, they're very good. And you know, if things break their way, it's not crazy to think they could go I, on a run. But I want I, to I'll see... say this when I, when I see things like Bellingham coming on and Foden mm. hitting the post and Mount out there and Calvin Phillips and Grealish, our obsession with, with Gre this, like they got a chance to be really, really, really good for a while. Like a few international tournament cycles. These guys are uh, Jaden Sancho. We haven't even mentioned like they, they are dangerously young. As Absol it's absolutely terrifying. And if you look at some of the people who had been left off the bench for the game at the weekend, you're like, this is this is real strength and depth that they probably haven't had for a while. But please, God, that that never comes to pass. And they remain they remain forever locked in, in a quarterfinal defeat to Germany or whoever. I, I don't care. But um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was in it was interesting. And um, I I. Look, it wasn't a great game, but I, I still I still enjoyed it. It was it was nice to see tournament football at Wembley, albeit it was only a quarter full or whatever it was. Right, uh, JJ, have we already witnessed our goal of the tournament? Oh, Andrew, let's let's hear Derek Ray. Just give it. A, I I thought this was a great call from Derek Ray. It's obviously Patrick Schick for the Czech Republic, the second goal 
a lance into the side of the Scots at Hampden Park. Hendry with the short. Now the break might be on for Patrick Schick. And look what he's trying to do. Schick. Oh, wow. can you believe wow. what we've just seen? Out of this world from Patrick Schick. Andrew. That is a great call. Oh, I th- that, that, a- that commentary team, all these teams are pretty good, but that, the Ray Okoku commentary team is excellent. I like that. I like it a lot. And um, and what a goal. What was it? 40, 46 yards. The furthest goal since like 1980 or something. I don't think there's been a goal hit any further. Uh, it was it was absolutely mag- magnificent. And um, and what I love about it is as well, there's there's a couple of things now. Uh, first of all, there's people who and we'll get to this, <laughs> who are criticizing David Marshall's positioning, which wasn't great. OK, but to hit that uh, facing towards the sideline and to wrap your foot around it, he used the wind perfectly. He whipped it perfectly. It went into the, into the net with some ease. It didn't bounce or dribble. It went straight in. It was just a magnificent strike. Um, but of course, like I said, uh, you know, the goalkeeper's position wasn't great. And um, of course, straight after the game, Scottish Twitter got onto it. And there's a, a call from a Glasgow Rangers commentary team. So the hometown commentary team for Glasgow Rangers a few years back when Celtic equalized against them, <laughs> they lost their minds because Wes Fotheringham was the keeper and he ran out a little bit. So, of course, Scottish people have put that audio over the David Marshall uh, mistake or whatever you want to call it, over the Patrick Schick goal. And um, this is just so funny. This is a Scottish man shouting about a goalkeeper. Well, it's still What's the goalie doing, Tom? What's the goalie doing? What's the goalie doing, Tim? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, as soon as the goal happened, you're right. I mean, that was, it was, Twitter was half, holy F, what did yes. I just see? And the other half was, what is David Marshall thinking? And it's, you know, still, still frame screenshots of like where he is on the field. <laughs> and granted, he's like, it's one thing to be caught a little bit upfield in a situation like that. Yeah. He's in another zip code. But like, <laughs> I, I watch a goal like that and everything you said about it is so true. The bend on it, the way it settles into the back of the net, it was so aesthetically pleasing it was such a kind of like stop whatever you're doing and yell moment that like why be like that why why see a goal like that and be like what's the keeper thinking like why can't people just see that and be like wow that was awesome there's been some great memes of marshall wrapped in the net Like this mad, well, it looked land- like a fly getting caught in a spider web. Like a mad landlocked fish that just <laughs> can't get out. My thing is, I understand tactically why you want to play your goalkeeper high up, but this goalkeeper's thirty-six. You know, I and I doubt he's ever been the quickest. Don't put him in a position where he has to sprint backwards towards the goal. Um, but but more on that game, Andrew. I thought Scotland weren't great but they still carved out enough opportunities to have been in the game. Uh, Dykes miss, well, not miss. The goalkeeper saves it with his leg, but it was from five yards. It was pathetic. He's got a score there. Andy Robertson may be one of the best fullbacks in world football. He is one of the worst finishers you will see uh, for a player of such high stature. I mean, that chance he had in the first half when it was nil-nil, 
I know. And he had all day to come on to it. There's no defender near him. You got to lace it. Like, and he just side foots it. And that's, that's a guy who's not confident. He's trying to control it. And the keeper saves it, tips it over. It was a good save. Um, but Scotland now have a huge job. They yeah, they're, huge they're in trouble. And they, look, they, they, were, they were without Kieran Tierney. I believe there's talk of him being back, possibly for their next game against England. Yeah, but I think there's a streak of conservatism as well. Like, why not play um, Billy Gilmore? You know, like this is a guy who can get on the ball and pass it. And no one could get McGinn in the positions he needed to be in. You know, um, che, uh, I would start Che Adams. Give him, give him 90 minutes. Uh Dykes for me is not working. Stephen O'Donnell was poor. Um, but but the Scots still carved out. That was that amazing save by the Czech goalkeeper where the ball is going, it's going in, and he's got to claw it out. And he claws it behind himself, like almost like a basketball player keeping the ball in front, keeping the ball in bounds. And somehow it, ev- it evades Dykes, who's running in to close him down. Um, Scotland weren't great, but they will look back and think. Now, Schick's first goal, the header, I don't know how you stop that. It's not like he was. I, I agreed with Ju, uh, Julie Foudy was uh, doing the uh, halftime analysis, and she said, I don't know how you stop that because there's two defenders either side of him. Mm-hmm. So it was just a brilliant goal. Maybe he's, he's a guy. We, we talked about the Czechs. Would they have enough goals? Maybe he will blossom and go on and score. Maybe he'll be tournament's top scorer. Wow. Wow. What a – you heard it here first. Well, uh, if Croatia had a Schick up front, they'd be – not a better team, but but they would be a better team, slightly better team. Uh, any others that you want to get to? I know the Netherlands, Ukraine was a, a really fun three-two, five second half goals. JJ, yeah. that was a fun game. Yeah, you were on about uh, goals of the tournament. I think Yarmolenko's for the Ukraine was was up there. It's what he does. Yeah, he scored that goal. How many times? Like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I saw him do it when he was at uh, Borussia Dortmund against Tottenham. Right. Um, he's. I've seen him do it for West Ham. What was it? Was it against Manchester United? He's done it before. He's done it against Tottenham. Chelsea. Uh, okay. During uh, Project Restart, much yeah. to the chagrin of Frankie Lampard. And it's funny, you know, we talk a lot, JJ, about um, some guys are club over country, some guys are country over club. Like who, which team gets the best out of you? Uh, Yarmolenko has always been a player who we can see the talent and skill level that he has, but at yeah. club level, it seems to be fleeting. I think West Ham thought they were going to be getting a, a way bigger contributor than what they've wound up with. Um, but not Ukraine JJ. So his goal, um, he joins current Ukrainian manager and Ukrainian legend. Andrei Shevchenko is the only players in Ukraine's history with 40 international goals. Yarmolenko has four, has 40 goals. That's crazy. It's a, that's such a big number for, yeah. um, for a guy who, but I think it's fitness, Andrew. Like he can't stay fit for long periods of time or he's certain that's not true. He could at Dortmund, but towards the end, he couldn't. And I'm sure that was a reason in, in why they moved him on and West Ham got him. And, and the same pattern has kind of has played out. I think the Netherlands on just the, the proportion of chances they have deserve to win. Yes. They're not winning that game without the errors of Georgie Bouchan in the, in the Ukrainian goal, who the first goal was his fault. He's got to hang on to that ball or clear it properly, do something other than spill it straight to Jeannie Wijnaldum, who finished well, to be fair. And then, I mean, he's got to save that header. The third. The third, yeah. yeah. You got, I mean, he got a good hand to it. Oh, he did. He off did. the head. It was Denzel Dumfries, right, who scored the third? Denzel Dumfries, I mean, yeah. off, off his head... I was when it wound up in the back of the net. I said, like, "Oh, that yeah. scored!" 
Like it was not one of those that I like right away was like, this is going in. I was, I was kind of surprised that he wasn't able to keep that out. Would have been a great save, but one that he probably would want to make. And don't forget at the start of the move that led to that goal, he kicked the ball away. Like he right, gave the possession, right. he gave the possession back. So I, I, I hate putting it all on the goalkeeper, but he didn't have a great night. Uh, before we move off of this game, I wanted to ask you about Jeannie Wijnaldum. Um, just because, you know, so in our group, in our group preview, we did mention, you know, we spoke about how he led the Netherlands in scoring during the group stages, but we didn't go too deep on that. And then in this first game of the actual tournament itself, he scores again for the Netherlands. And it's just interesting now. It seems like it's this conversation is starting to build about, hmm, like maybe he is this guy more than what we've seen at Liverpool, where he's never really called into that position. To well, be. he does a different, he does a different role for right. sure. Yeah. And, and, and so I've seen a little bit of, did Klopp use him the right way the past few years? Now, look, oh. it's hard to argue with, look at the results. Oh, so, on. you know, we'd be kind of, fool- I think anybody yeah. peddling that narrative would be a, a little bit foolish, but I just thought it was interesting that you always hear about with the Dutch specifically, the idea of total football and maybe had they moved away from that in some ways, but maybe there are still players like one album who, who are that guy who can play any number of roles and play them very effectively. I know exactly what you're saying, but he does a different thing for Liverpool. And if you look at Liverpool's three man midfield for the past three, four years, Andrew, the goals haven't been coming from midfield. Their function is much, much, is much more different to that. It's not saying they yeah. don't score. Has Henderson scored important goals? He has. Has, uh, has Wijnaldum himself against Barcelona? Absolutely, he has. But generally speaking, their role is just different for Liverpool. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do take your point. Um, and people are always going to, when you do something at international level, it always reflects back on your club form, which is what we just did there when we were talking about Pogba. Uh, I'll tell you what, JJ, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk with Johnny Wojcik-Kockborg of BT Sport out of Copenhagen about uh, Denmark and the latest news pertaining to Christian Eriksen. we got a mailbag a little bit later on as well. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Oh, back now on Caught Offside, a uh, mailbag coming up shortly, JJ. I wonder if people have been thinking of their favorite disallowed goals. Um <laughs> Before we uh, before we get to that, we wanted to obviously talk about what happened on yeah. Saturday afternoon um, in Copenhagen between Denmark and Finland. Um, what was it? Right around the 42nd minute or so. Mm. Um, Christian Eriksen, if you were watching, obviously you know what happened. He dropped in a way that was it was jarring. I mean, uh, we all we all see injuries in this sport all the time. I think it was it was plain to see immediately that this was different. Um, that was clear. The reaction from everyone on the field within seconds, uh, it kind of reinforced the idea that this was different. And then I think you could tell in the, you know, the first minute or so that this was horrifyingly different. And I, I mean, we can talk about, you know, our reactions, I guess, to how this played out. I was, you know, I was just watching the game, eating lunch and once you could see, it was really once the, the Danish team kind of formed this uh, human barrier around Ericsson that I started to feel almost truly sick where I, I couldn't eat anymore. Um, you know, the looks on the players' faces, it became so painful. Hearing 
Derek Ray and Evan Okoku, who did as good a job as you could do navigating circumstances like this, hearing them kind of describe the scene, um, what was happening, you know, there were, there were wide shots, but you could certainly see what was going on. There was not much left to the imagination, certainly. Um, it was, it's the most, I mean, you know, you don't want to rank things like this. All I can tell you is the way that I was feeling watching it, it was the most horrific thing I've ever seen watching a sporting event. It's as simple as that. My reaction to it was one that I don't think I, you know, like, I guess you have these moments watching sports where the most powerful moments in your life as a sports fan are the ones that elicit reactions that are, are you, that can't be helped. You know, like when the, when Tottenham beat Ajax, like the way I reacted to that, it's like, you can't rehearse that. It's just like these, these moments where just like these feelings pour out of you. Um, you know, that's one end of the spectrum. That was one of joy. This was the complete and total opposite where like, you can't, you can never think about how you'll react watching something like this, a player who we've all watched grow up from Ajax to Tottenham to enter uh, his, his many performances with Denmark at national tournaments. I mean, he's, you know, it's Christian Eriksen, for God's sake. It's like one of the most recognizable players that we've been talking about on this show for years and years. Um, so to see him um, in a position like that and to see the faces of the fans and his teammates, JJ, was it was awful. I'll never forget it. And I just thank God that it has, at least for now, you know, turned out to be um, a, a happy ending to what for a, a large period of, of time on Saturday looked like it was headed for the ultimate tragedy. I was, uh, I was in Delaware for a few days. Um, so I, and I was with people who have no interest in soccer. So I had, um, Denmark versus Finland was not going to some, be something that could, uh, stifle our lunch plans so i went for lunch and my phone starts blowing up and i start to kind of get a grasp on what's happening and then i called you and i've never heard you upset like that i've never heard you shocked like that that was genuine shock and emotion and fear in your voice uh i'd never I'd, I'd never seen you like that before or heard you like that before in my life and um it was terrifying. And unfortunately, not seeing the live pictures meant that I went scrolling on Twitter for stuff. And, and I saw the incident, which. Um, well, I, I don't know how to describe and I, I'm not sure it's even a good thing to to describe those pictures. Most people saw them. I don't know. Should I go over them again? But I think it, people it, by now, if they wanted if they wanted to have seen it or happened to have seen it during the match, it, they it, know by now, I don't think it needs to even be described really. No, the very nature of it was just so terrifying. And um, yeah, thankfully the news trickled out quickly that the worst had been avoided relatively quickly. I would say um, that the worst had been avoided, but I spent, I spent maybe 25, 35 minutes in absolute, like in a stupor, just staring at my phone, scrolling for news, trying to avoid macabre things, trying to avoid disinformation, which unfortunately comes with the territory these days. And um, it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And um, and I, I I don't know. I think I think you're right, Derek Ray and Efnikoku did the did the best they possibly could. And um, I I've never been so so scared about an event that I couldn't see that everyone else was kind of locked into. Um, yeah. Truly awful. I would say this about that. So for me personally, I stopped watching 
after a few minutes or so, I could, I just couldn't, I, I felt, like I said, I felt sick watching this happen in my, I don't know. I feel weird saying it now in my mind, I had just seen Christian Erickson, this player that, you know, so many people, myself included, loved. Um, I, I thought I had just seen him die on television. Mm. And, you know, so I stopped watching. I couldn't, I just couldn't take it. And I actually thought this was one of the rare instances, you know, we talk a lot about social media and how it can be uh, this ugly hate space and, and you know, it, it can be a cesspool. Um, this is not meant as any slight against the job that Derek Ray and Effin Okoku were doing. Um, but I actually found this to be one of the rare instances where social media was my preferred way of getting information. Well, I, I will say that I punched the air at Fabrizio Romano's tweets about, about his condition and his updates. Yeah. That was, that was particularly joyous, but I'll be very interested to, to talk to Johnny who was at the parking stadium. Yeah. And how he, how he experienced it as a working journalist. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what he's standing by right now. Um, let's, uh, let's have that conversation. Johnny Wojcik Kochborg of BT sport uh, based in Copenhagen. Uh, like you said, he was there for this match and he joins us now, Johnny, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing well. We've been talking, of course, about the uh, the events from over the weekend pertaining to Christian Eriksson. And I, I kind of wanted to ask about, I guess, the emotional side of this. I, I mean, what is the feeling in Denmark? It's a smaller nation, uh, I'm sure a pretty tight-knit footballing community. Christian Eriksson, I imagine he's probably most kids' favorite players. He's a, maybe the best player on this team. Uh, I, I can only imagine really how traumatic this scene was to watch play out. What What has it been like in Denmark? Uh, well, you, you're you're completely right. He is the biggest star of the team. Of course, we have a Kasper Schmeichel and Simon Kerr as well. But Christian Eriksson is 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 kind of the um, the the key part in the attack. He's the one who gives the good assists and scores the goals and all that. So he's he's he's, he's he has the X factor, and a lot of kids has have them as as their idol and. Um, I, I, it would be a traumatic event in any case. It was another player, but when it's the big star, it's just it's it it's, it adds some something to 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 the mix. Uh, um, I actually just read that uh, the Danish club um, at Park has sold out of Ericsson shirts and and uh, are to get some more because people are just flooding together with support. Uh, trying to, to show the compassion. I wasn't able to see it. I, I, I'm Irish, obviously, and so I picked Denmark and Finland as the one game I, I would I would skip over <laughs> the weekend because of what the Danes have done to the Irish. I, I, I really couldn't take much more of Denmark. I've seen them so much over the past few years. So I didn't see the pictures unfold. I didn't, I didn't watch it. I, I, I saw everything afterwards. I, in, in that live moment, this unique live moment, what, what was that like for you? Well, I was I was there at the stadium working with with three other colleagues, and um, you know when you're in the middle of a game working, I was in work yes. mode. I was focusing on the game, uh, but I was I was typing on my on my laptop, and um, I could I could see that a player went down. I couldn't see it was Ericsson, but it was it was clear clear to me quickly that something was 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 off. Uh, you know, in football, we we used to players kind of. Being a little more, little dramatic with with injuries that yes. that the medical staff should come on, but there was something uh, in, in in the movement that Simon Kerr and the other players did that 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 frightened me a bit. Uh, and then slowly, as the seconds 
progressed, it was clear that it was something very, very severe. But but it's when you're in the situation, it's 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 like a bad movie flashing by. You don't know. You don't have the capacity to think that he's he's almost dying on the pitch. Yeah. Well, he basically, he was gone for a moment, and they restarted his heart. Um, and it was it was a big shock. And I was I was I had a um, as I said, I had the work work mode in my in my head, but I was shaking. Mm. My my body reacted immediately, and my colleagues did as well. Um, and then uh, in, in Denmark, it was the the game was broadcasted on two channels: the national broadcasting channel and on a private channel. And on the national broadcasting channel, where a lot of people saw the game, they cut the pictures right away. But on the private channel, uh, it, it continued for a bit, so a lot of people saw that. But um, we were the eyes and ears of a lot of Danes, and we had to kind of give that information, which was not a lot of information coming out, but we had to give it in a, in a, in a very delicate way. Uh, and we were still in shock. Uh, we were really, yeah. we should, a lot of people don't believe that journalists are human beings as well, but we <laughs> are. <laughs> uh, so we reacted and... Um, I remember my um, my colleague coming out. We were talking, what, what, what should we do? And um, it was the moment he was being carried out of the pitch. And we didn't see the images. We saw it with him being conscious, take, uh, grabbing his head. We, we were in complete, uh, uh, we didn't know anything. Uh, I actually thought he was, I thought he was there at that moment. Um, and my colleague said, uh, uh, maybe go try to go out of the stadium, see if we can get any information. I ran out of the stadium, my pulse was high, and I went down and just saw the glimpse of the ambulance leaving the stadium, and there was no siren on. Um, and I took that as a, as a sign of, of, of them not rushing away, that he was, he was gone. And, and it just hit me as a shock. Um, yeah, and then I went up, met my colleague who was heading over to the hospital for doing a, a live signal. Uh, and he could see I was visibly shaken about, about, about the whole situation because uh, at that moment he was alive and in, in, in what they later found out was yes. in a stable condition, but we had no knowledge, there was no information. So we, in our heads, he was dead. And we have just saw a, a, a player, a person, a father, a husband, all these things. Uh, dying on the on the pitch, and that was the fall. I, I went to the press stands, and I just, mm. we got the information 20, 30 minutes afterwards uh, that he was okay. But I think those minutes where we didn't know those minutes, uh, maybe an hour in in total, that we didn't know anything as as a nation, are still very much an open wound uh, for the Danish people. Yeah, Johnny, just to add to that, then I suppose the question for me is considering that trauma that you felt as someone who was a bystander, someone who was watching, observing, how surprised were you then that a decision was come to? We don't, we're not 100% sure how this happened, but that the game would be restarted. I was, in, I couldn't believe it. I was just, we were uh, kind of um, in the kind of debriefing each other about, okay, when are we going to go? back to our offices and maybe do anything when we're done here. And then suddenly it, it comes on the screen that the game is going to be restarted at the half past nine Danish time. And it was just, it was just so surreal because there was no way the players, of course, and, 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 and yeah, the players are, are the main factors in this. They couldn't play that game in, in any circumstance because 
I wasn't even near it, but I couldn't, I had a hard time doing my job after that. Um, we came to some some agreements and uh, how we're going to cover the game. Uh, I think it, it went went very well for, for, for during the search uh, during the circumstances. But um, yeah, I couldn't believe that it was going to be played. And, and, and there's that's still something uh, people are very angry about. And there's a, a real discussion going on in these days. Johnny, do we know the process as to how they came to that decision? It feels like we've heard a little bit of conflicting information from the manager, from Casper Schmeichel, from UEFA officials. What is it that we know up to this point as to why the game was continued when it was? Yeah, there's um, there's been some conflicting reports. Um, the most conflicting part was uh, uh, Peter Schmeichel, uh, the father of, of Kasper Schmeichel, uh, who, who who said in an interview that uh, UEFA kind of threatened uh, the Danish team uh, to, if they forfeit the game, they would lose it three uh, 0 uh, We have not been able to confirm that, and uh, actually, the Danish coach Kasper uh, Julman said today that it was not true. Um, they were given two options, uh, either to, to play the game right away or to come back the next day and play it at 12 o'clock. That was basically the two options. And uh, the players, Casper uh, Juma has told that they just thought, let's just get it over with because they only had those two options. There was no talk about um, a third option at all, but as as they're they're relaying it um so so there was the, there were the options and they they thought that they just couldn't go back the next day when the bus and 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 when they went were going home after the game and not sleeping they didn't think it was a good condition to play the game afterwards so that's that was the thought process in the moment and that's why they said okay well let's play the game if that's the only two options we got uh, and that that's what we know for sure uh, and yeah there's been some some conflicting reports but that's the that's the facts right now uh, maybe uh, some some more information will come out but uh, UEFA has has, has uh, told uh, the Danish media that uh, they have uh, Article 29 in the rule book where this uh, stands. Um, but Kasper Juhlmann said a very, uh, I think a very good thing today. He was very um, uh, concrete in his uh, critique of UEFA. He said that uh, if the Danish team were inflicted with, with several COVID cases, the game could be postponed for 48 hours. Uh, a player almost died on the pitch and we couldn't, find some resolution and he he's very much opposed of that they even played the game and he's he said he was he's had, had second thoughts of, of 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 not leaving the stadium but he was also emotionally uh inflicted in that, in that situation and uh, i think it was a decision to to be taken on a higher level and i think the danish federation has played a part in that as well uh, and we haven't heard from them on like a political level yet. And I think that that will come in the days following. Johnny, uh, just on, on the players and uh, how are they doing? How are they coping? Have we heard any anything from from the senior uh, players, Casper uh, Schmeichel or anybody like that since? Yeah, yeah, we had a, a, actually a very moving press conference yesterday where Casper Schmeichel, Pierre-Emil Hoybier and Martin Braithwaite uh, were the three players sent out to talk. 
uh, and was I was really impressed, of, especially of course of all the players, but especially Casper Schmeichel, who was very near the situation. And and as some may remember, he was also a part of the tragic uh, helicopter crash in Leicester, where he was the first man on the scene. Mm. So he has seen some tragedies in his life, um, and um, they were very uh, very honest, very emotional, and I think. A lot of Danes just had the most respect for them in that situation. Uh, of course, uh, there was a situation with Martin Brethel being very emotionally, uh, visibly emotionally, uh, uh, what do you call it in English? Uh, he was emotional. Uh, and I just think there was a very human face to the, to the team. Um, and, of, and even Kasper Schmeichel, he's, the, he's one of the leaders of the team. Um, He's part of the leader group of the team. Simon Kerr is the captain, but he's also part of the leader group. He had uh, the time and uh, energy to criticize UEFA as well. He has, had been to the hospital with Simon Kerr to uh, talk and see Christianer, the knowledge of him being okay, and they've seen him talk to him uh, in, in real life. So uh, I think that was a, a very beautiful moment that they had the, 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 the power the energy to go out and talk to to the Danish media. Uh, we hope the game on Thursday is a cathartic moment for Danish football and for everyone. Um, Johnny, thanks for your time. No problem. Thank you. Our, our thanks to Johnny for uh, for joining us there. Man, you know that was that was intense. Hearing him retell his experience of running out of the stadium, seeing the ambulance without uh, the siren on. You know that's something that I was thinking about too when you called me. Um, that was one of the, that was kind of one of the the negative indicators to me that the worst had happened because, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. And I have no idea what protocol is uh, for events like this. So in my own head, like everybody's own head goes in certain places and you come to your own assumptions on what's going on. To me, you know, as I was watching the beginning of this transpire, there's an ambulance in every stadium. And to me, if Christian Eriksen had gone into cardiac arrest, that ambulance would have been on the field instantaneously and taken him out of there instantaneously. That's just what I think. But like I said, I don't know bleep about protocol in these situations. So when I didn't see any ambulance, I started to go into this crazy, negative, dangerous headspace of they're, maybe they're not bringing it out there because it's too late. And, you know, I think Johnny echoed that sentiment when he mm. said, I saw him go into the ambulance and there was no siren. And, you know, his he started to feel the same way when, in fact, maybe these things were happening because something good had just occurred because Christian was awake because he was responsive. Um, so I could certainly, you know, he was there in person. He was among the action. I can't even begin to fathom his reaction to it, but I can at least relate to where his mind went when you're trying to find cues out there when there's no information and you're looking for anything to grasp onto. Uh, I think that was that was very relatable and almost chilling hearing him walk us through his experience in that stadium. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I, I really hope for for Johnny, considering how affected he was by everything that happened, and and for his colleagues that, and and for everyone in Denmark, really that that Thursday brings that kind of catharsis. Yeah. That. Um, Ericsson is safe now and that some um, some healing can take place because, you know, I've said to you before, you know, there's there's things that modern society has shielded us from. And that is such a bizarre, um, traumatic moment to be in where you watch a colleague essentially die in front of you, although thankfully he didn't right. and he was revived, but he did, you know, 
for all intents and purposes, for all they knew, he was gone for a brief period. Yeah. And um, the effect on, on, on a player, on a person, on people in the stands, on people covering the games, I would imagine would be enormous. Yeah. Last bit on this for me, um, you know, the, uh, for, for, like you said, I, I keep thinking of it as a tragedy. Fortunately, it's not. Like we said, Christian Erickson is alive and hopefully will live a, a full life. Um, but like situations like this sometimes do bring moments of inspiration. And I would say that uh, Simone cares, his action as the captain of that team, as a teammate, as a friend, Casper Schmeichel, you know, his, his reaction, his, you know, both players consoling Christian Erickson's partner. Um, and then I feel bad that I don't know their names, but every member of that medical uh, crew that made their way out there and the response time that they did and the action that they took to literally save a life in front of a global audience. I can only imagine the pressure that is on these people in any situation, but in a situation like that, you know, where you're not really, you're not really there expecting something like this to happen. And all of a sudden you're called into action to save a life in the middle of a, of a game on the field in front of a, in front of, you know, 40,000 people, um, everyone and write down the, the referee, Anthony Taylor, uh, who waved them on within what was it five yeah. seconds uh, right away, within five seconds I think it was that he knew something horrific was happening and he, he stopped the game and waved them on the response time you know all of these people just did all the things that they are taught they're trained to do and Christian Erickson may very well be alive today because of it just incredible uh, Morton Bolson was the Denmark team doctor and it was his team that uh, effectively saved his life along with the, the quick actions of Anthony Taylor and, and Simon Kier, as you said. So this was um, exceptional actions under the most incredible pressure. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, JJ, let's go ahead, take one more break. We'll come back uh, with a mailbag on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Oh, Andrew, we have a mail busy. At CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, Caught Offside ESPN on Instagram. Go follow us there, Caught Offside Pod at gmail.com for email. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes with five stars. Let's get it going with uh, Hiltra001. Like you said, um, what is or what are some of your favorite disallowed goals that you have seen? Uh, do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, yeah, I'll go. I have a couple here. The first one, I'll go quickly. Uh, Gareth Bale, JJ, had one for Real Madrid against PSG in the Champions League. I forget what year it was, um, but it was in the group stage. And it's one where he, he takes it kind of on the edge of the box and juggles it, like three juggles. And then on the juggle, the final juggle chips the keeper. It was it was oh. incredible. Truly incredible. Like, Google it. It comes up quickly if you just type in Bale disallowed goal PSG. Like, it, it'll you'll have many hits on it quickly. It's so sad. It's so sad that this goal doesn't count because it was <laughs> would have been a timeless goal against that team in that competition. Yeah. And then a, a couple kind of fun ones. Um, I mean, the, I would say this was the moment that gave us goal line technology. Lampard for England against Germany in the World Cup. I guess that, I don't know if that's a disallowed goal. I guess it's more of just a mistake. The right. one that was clearly over the line uh, that wound up not counting and England wound up going out. Um, and then my personal favorite, as a Tottenham fan, JJ, I will never forget the feeling of finding out that Raheem Sterling's stoppage time goal for Manchester City against Tottenham in the quarterfinals of the Champions League back in 2019 was being ruled out. 
Oh man. I, I told that story where I was just kind of, I had watched it on DVR like hours later. Cause I was traveling that day. I didn't know the result. The goal went in. I kind of just like, I had been standing up. I put my head up against the wall just in disbelief. And then to hear Guy Mowbray say, VAR will take a look. Oh, I'll never forget it. The greatest disallowed goal in the history of Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I've got two quick ones. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who became a top scorer ever in the European Championships today against Hungary. Uh, he scored an unbelievable goal against Spain in November 2010. It was just, he's inside the box. It's quick feet. He cuts left. He cuts right. I think he destroys Sergio Ramos. And then he lifts it up over the goalkeeper with like zero backlift. He's got, he's got no angle to do this. And he lifts it over the goalkeeper and it's crossing the line. And Nani heads it in, who was a judge to have been in an offside position. And Ronaldo loses his ish. He goes mental, absolutely mental. And as it turned out, the ball was already over the line. So it should have been given as a goal. And Nani wasn't offside. But hmm. um, the Sad umpire... that a uh, certain technology didn't exist wow. at that time. I guess so. And the By other the way, one is while you're talking about that real quick, uh, it just made me think of Ronaldo today. He is when it comes to like expressing frustration towards a teammate in a goal scoring situation, he is just like the least shy human being on the face of the earth. He's he let Diego Jota have it today for something that I look, if Jota played that ball to Ronaldo, there's a good chance they score, but like Diego Jota is, isn't He's a striker. He's well within his, his rights to take that attempt that he took. It was a good shot forced a good save from the keeper and Ronaldo, just like the histrionics and the screaming. It's just like, man, I don't know which is worse. The screaming or the glare when he gives you the glare that that's almost, it it almost feels worse. Uh, My second goal is Paul McGrath versus Holland in Orlando in the world cup in 1994 clips a ball over Frank Reichardt's head and side foot volleys it into the bottom corner. A wonderful goal. Absolutely great goal. You can find it out on, uh, on YouTube. And it was uh, denied for foot up and right at Reichard pretending he had got kicked in the head. There was no blood. He was fine. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I screamed as a young fellow when that goal wasn't allowed. Uh, Josh Hinton. Hey, JJ, what do you think of seeing Ireland make an appearance at Euro 2020, albeit by way of Bono? Mm. Yes. Yes. Bono showed up for the opening ceremony, kind of um, singing. We are the people we've been waiting for out of the ruins of hate and war. Army of lovers never seen before. We are the people we've been waiting for. It's nonsensical, but it is so like the sound of it. Everything is so UEFA. It's just like this is a classic tournament song and it sticks in your head as well. Um, and probably you two, a band I loved. Um, they've been heading this way for a while. So, um, oh my. Yeah. Andrew, I saw them. Uh, I've seen them twice in Ireland, twice in America. Saw them at the link in 2010 in Philadelphia. Uh, they're just, they were amazing. Absolutely amazing. The last few albums have not been good, but. Um, I saw them in 2001 on their elevation tour oof. at the Wells Fargo. What was then the first union center, I guess. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was awesome. It was great. I give anything to go back in time to uh, 92 for the, um, for the zoo TV tour or go to pop Mart or something like that. They were, they were amazing. They were at their peak. Then there was nobody close to them. There probably still isn't for a stadium band. So, hmm. uh, James Rollo, uh, just wanted to call out the coincidence that I caught your latest sign-off, catch you later, cartographers, 
just as I arrived at my office where I work as a cartographer. Wow. Why were we talking about cartographers on because, the preview pod? Because that was the question that Manuel Neuer refused to answer uh, on oh. German, who wants to be a millionaire for a chance to win a million euros. He, he's walked away with 500,000, so he did all right. But that was, it was about, I forget the guy's name now. Oh, hell, that's that's bad job by me. Okay. Uh, but the guy was a cartographer from like the 1400s. All right. If you've uh, if you've got an interesting job and you listen to the pod, let us know, please. It's uh, it's it's cool that we have a cartographer. Uh, is it cool? Yeah. I don't know. No, Arterburn. Am I alone in thinking that Southgate squad selection shouldn't be vindicated by Sterling's goal? Here we go. Oh, uh, <laughs> a win is a win, but am I crazy for thinking they couldn't have gotten more against a lifeless Croatia with Grealish instead? Uh, I'm kind of with you, Noah. I am. Um, it's interesting that you say that Sterling's reaction to that exact question post-match, well, almost that exact question post-match was interesting. He got kind of sniffy at a BBC reporter who asked him, um, do you think uh, that goal vindicates your selection? And he goes like this, he repeats the question, he goes, vindicates my selection. And he looks up in the air, kind of smiling as if this is a foul question. How dare you ask this question? Um, so Sterling is feeling it a little bit too. Uh, feeling the pressure from the Irishman on the sideline and feeling the profession, the pressure to perform, I guess. Maybe. I mean, look, like the game is about goals and he scored the winner. Right. Uh, so like, I, Isn't that I guess I, I, maybe, maybe I'm a simpleton for seeing it that you way. Are. We'll <laughs> we'll never know like what Jack Grealish might've done instead, but I don't know. I sometimes feel like, it kind of it kind of indicates it to a certain extent. I, I saw this from from James Ollie, okay, um, at ESPN FC, and he wrote about Sterling, um, and the, pretty much on this topic, he said they Croatia slowed the game down to their preferred pace, particularly given the sweltering heat in London, and squeezed England with a high defensive line that briefly nullified Southgate's side. Sterling was the only player to consistently threaten to get in behind, and it was from there where the goal eventually came. Having grown up in the London borough of Brent, within sight of Wembley Arch. Um, perhaps it is no surprise he revels in this environment. Six goals in his past five matches at this stadium, 13 in his past 17 for England. Um, so to hear James Ollie say it, it wasn't just the goal for Sterling. He yeah. also was the one player um, from at least that reporter's perspective who was threatening Croatia and trying to make the runs that would break through and give them more. So if you take that, combined with the goal, combined with the fact that he plays well for England in this stadium or for anybody in this stadium. And he plays, he's played well for England um, of late 13 goals in his past 17 games. I mean, is it so crazy? And, and like, don't we at a certain point, I always say this about Jill Ellis. I sound like a broken record, but people criticized her all the way through the U S winning a world cup. Uh, and, you know, we talked about that with maybe being an issue for Southgate in this tournament. And it only took one game for us to already see the makings of that. Mm. And it only took the England one game for you to compare them with a World Cup winning manager. So there we go. Um, I Just one thing on this. I've noticed a trend. Has anyone else noticed? Noticed? Noticed it too? Let me know. Sterling, when he gets in the box now, I don't know if it's in his head, if there's something going on, if we're going back to the old poor finishing Sterling, but his wind-up to strike the ball seems to allow defenders chances to get tackles in and blocks. It happened in the Champions League final, happened in the first half against Croatia, and it happened again in the second half, even on the goal. I mean, the goal, it was lucky it went in in the end. 
Um, right, I'm just I didn't cre- think he took a long windup on it. No, I think well, there's, there's he was something fighting that... off a defender. A defender was clearly bearing down. It was bang bang. The keeper was running at him. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd have I don't to know. Look at I, it d- I don't know. Maybe I'm noticing something when he's shooting. It 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 seems as if people are getting blocks in. I don't know. Uh, one one the... other note. I, I know we're going long here, but I, I did want to make one other note about. Um, so who was it that that sent that tweet there? Uh, Noah Archerburn. He brings up Sterling. A lot of people have echoed those words in talking about Kieran Trippier and his inclusion in the squad, which to a certain extent I get because he was being played in a different position and they have players at that position who are naturally very good at that that position. Right. Um, I guess what I would say is a, I thought Trippier played well. And so he may have also validated his position um, or his, the decision to play him. And, you know, the other thing too, is like, we kind of forget, that like so Trippier since he left Tottenham and went to Atletico Madrid I mean his game has changed a little bit in that as you would expect it would at a club like that under Simeone he's become really really good defensively you know we used to think of him as, a, as like a free kick specialist good for playing in crosses that kind of stuff but we worried about what he was in defense that's not who he is anymore and so I think concerns that they might have had with Tyrone Mings playing left center half they probably think well maybe having Trippier near him is helpful from a defensive perspective um, like Kieran Trippier for this team at Atletico Madrid was just selected to La Liga's team of the season. He's not just some guy, some people who like us who are very Anglo centric and Premier League centric sometimes forget about these guys when they leave this league. I haven't um, forgotten about him. He's just playing out of position. That's all. But, it, but he played well and, and you could almost see why he would have been played there. A stronger defensive player okay. uh, next to a center half that maybe they had some concern with. All right. I think in the end, you know, I think there will be moments to really rip into Southgate, but let's pace ourselves. I don't know if this was, if this is really it just yet. Tanner Lefevre, are people undervaluing Spain to advance deep? Question mark. Yes, they're poor finishing, but they also have so much of the ball and create so many chances that they may not need to be great. Conversely, their foes, their foes may only get one to two real chances. And if they aren't great, i.e. Sweden, they won't score. Um, I get that. But um, the XG for Spain versus Sweden was 2.5 to 1 for Sweden. So that finished nil-nil, obviously. Um, I just think that the first game, he's, he's probably right. Um, the first game has led us into that kind of narrative corridor that we were in in our previews where we're worried that the Spain team will be very very good keeping the ball at times they'll have great combinations but they won't have a, a razor's edge and Morata leading the line won't be the one that's going to score the goals to fire them to a good performance at this tournament it's only one game Tanner makes a good point I I kind of agree with it but I'm worried um, prior to the tournament the manager of Spain, Luis Enrique, was talking about getting more verticality into his side, less, more, not directness. They're not going to turn into a long ball team, but more penetration um, through the lines. And uh, I don't know if they're there yet, but maybe, maybe this is just the, the game that they start off slowly and then they, they explode. We've seen this before, but they were pretty drab in that game. Let's be honest, guys. Um, Daniel Schreiber. Was that a penalty for Portugal today versus Hungary? Mm. For me, Clive, not at all. 
but it was given um, much to the shock of uh, ESPN's Mark Clattenburg. Didn't think it was a penalty. Uh, thought that in comparison to the other non-calls there has been, this was broadly much, much less than those other non- non-calls. And uh, he was surprised. So hopefully this isn't introducing a new era within this tournament of them calling everything now. Yeah. Um, but this was against the grain of the tournament so far, I would think. Yeah. I mean, look, there was contact up top. He grabbed his arm. Yeah. Um, was a lot made of it after that happened. Yeah, I thought so. Like I was looking for some kind of tangling of legs, something like that that would cause him to go down. It didn't really happen. So I guess it's one of those that like whatever was going to be called on the field, there was never going to be enough evidence, I guess, one way or another. Like you could make the case that it was a penalty. Maybe I didn't really, I thought it was soft also, yeah. but like it was always going to be hard to overturn. Yeah. And um, we're going to round off the male BZ with Justin saying no above a picture that a betting company has tweeted. He's done it again. And it's a picture of Yogi. <laughs> Yogi sniffing his two fingers. Now, in fairness, he's done it again. Having your two fingers there under your nostrils does not suggest that there was some kind of act of, um, how shall I put this, sniffing impropriety. We don't have the visual of where those fingers were before that. Ergo, I think this Twitter uh, picture is unfair. Much like Yogi's center half, Antonio Rudiger, Yogi himself, JJ, has lost the benefit of the depth. <laughs> when we see him sniffing his fingers... <laughs> The evidence of the past suggests that we know where those fingers have been, and it's weird. Okay, fair enough. Before we get out, uh, a couple of people have asked about uh, Copa America group previews, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, they're not going to be happy with this podcast. No, they're not going to be happy with it because um, by the time, which was, what, 10 days ago, seven days ago, a week ago, when we were doing group previews for, previews for the Euros, we didn't even know if Copa America was going to happen. You know, it was at uh, an. You're imp- making excuses. We'll, let's just a- take the L. We apologize. Don't worry. We'll talk about it when it gets to the good stuff later <laughs> down the line. That's the best I can say. I mean, there's been some good stuff. Leo Messi scored a great goal. Uh, Brazil have gotten off to a good start. Um, so Jesus, Andrew, we haven't even talked about Italy. I and know. How long ago does that feel? That it game? feels forever ago. But I got to mention that Italy looked the real deal. By the way, the U.S. beat Costa Rica. We uh, haven't met, and they look great in that game too with their B squad. Stop yeah. diluting, stop diluting my Italy. Chat. But like the, the thing that we've always wanted for the U.S. men, young depth, like a second squad of young players. What PK are you and doing? Aronson. We haven't even talked about that, and, uh, and com- you know how we obsess over the U.S. So everyone, just calm down. We'll get I, to everything. I know, but we 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 have to go big on Italy in the next podcast. We simply have to. I thought Italy were excellent in their opening game. Yeah, I thought really Insignia was, was absolutely crucial. I'd like a little bit more width. I think the switch is on much more often. You don't always have to go down Insignia's side all the time. thought uh, Mancini made very good substitutions. I thought Turkey were poor. Um, and, uh, and once Italy got ahead, that was it. Um, okay, that's it. No more. Well, there you go. This was a monster podcast. This this summer, like you can just see, this summer is going to be nuts. There's so much going on, but I love it. I, I'm enjoying my international football, JJ. I, I really and truly am. Not swear, I'm not just saying that. This has been awesome so far. All right. um, this was fun, man. I enjoyed this very much. We'll, of course, be back with another podcast on all of this and more next week. Our thanks to Johnny Wojcik Kockborg of BT Sport in Copenhagen for talking to us about. Uh, a really difficult subject. All of our best, of course, to Christian Erickson and his family uh, as he uh, hopefully is on the road to recovery. Um, hey, this was good stuff, man. To you, I say... 
Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 